Hi, everyone. Lauren from Bone Chillers Podcast here. Welcome to episode 14. Um, I'm back with Hale again. Hello. <laughs> We're going to talk some more serial killers. Um, this week, we decided to go with another theme of maybe more of a lesser known serial killer duo that we've each chosen of one. So not really a duo, just two that we've chosen one each. <laughs> and makes... it seems like we chose two that aren't as well known, but are absolutely terrible. Yes. <laughs> yeah. The one that I've gone for is absolutely vile, disgusting. Um, so yeah, again, another heads up of that. Um, it is quite gory again. And just other stuff of like sexual things. Oh yeah, it's it's real bad. This <laughs> it week. is pretty bad. So yeah, just a just a heads up for all of you listeners out there. But yeah, Hale, if you'd like to to go first. All right. So I uh, chose Andrei Chikatilo, who is uh, who was a Russian serial killer, um, who is probably I'm pretty sure he has like the highest. Uh, like body count of like any serial really wow um or like i guess the highest like confirmed right so um yeah this guy oh god he's gross oh so uh andre chikatilo was born in 1936 uh to two ukrainian field peasants um he grew up in a time of carnage and uh, misery under joseph stalin's rule um there was rampant cannibalism uh through like the early 30s in in the ukraine and and the soviet union whoa uh, because there was no food right i had no idea so he like obviously the thought of cannibalism scared him because his mother was like yeah your cousin was a bad boy and he was eaten by the neighbor <gasps> i mean fair right that's pretty terrifying so yeah so he was like he was scared but he was also like fascinated by the fact that people were capable of mm. doing something like this right um so in 1941 hitler invaded the soviet union um so chikatilo's home country was occupied and controlled by the nazis which he was not a fan of mm. which i don't you know i don't think anybody was no <laughs> um so he kind of grew up surrounded by death like he would walk out of the hut that he shared with his mother and he would see like bodies and limbs rotting on the ground wow um he looked at these scenes of you know gruesomeness and horror um with you know apprehension and revulsion um but eventually like bloody horrors would be his ultimate aphrodisiac it would be like what got him off later in life right. so <laughs> um like many other serials that we've covered uh andre's mother was absolutely horrible um they shared a bed during the war and andre was a chronic bedwetter um but instead of like dealing with it and trying to figure out why her son kept peeing in the bed um she would just beat him every time he had an accident <gasps> Well, that's not going to help, is it? Oh, no, not at all. <laughs> um, there's also... He had a couple of accidents while he was younger um, that... Like, we're not sure that he had brain damage, but, like, he got knocked in the head a couple times, and he probably had brain damage. Oh, no. Which is another, you know, serial killer trait. Right, yes. Um, so he was remembered by his classmates as being, like, shy and introverted, um... But puberty brought more indignities 
uh, before he hit his growth spurt, he was a heavy little boy with noticeable breasts. Um, so the boys at his school called him Baba, which is a derogatory term for a do- dirty old lady. Oh. <laughs> um, so Andre's psyche was growing more and more twisted. Um, he was teased for the odd shape of his foreskin after a classmate looked over at him at a urinal. Um, and oddly enough, uh, this wouldn't be the only incident that he encountered in school involving his penis. Um, but it's very possible that this, like, one incident was the root of his later impotence. Right. Uh, once he came of age, he was kind of a force to be reckoned with. Uh, Chikatilo became a dedicated Stalinist. Um, even though his childhood was destroyed by communism, he was, like, all for it. Um, his family was surviving on, like, grass and leaves. Like, he literally had to eat grass. He didn't have bread until he was, like, 13. Wow. Um, but he just kind of gobbled up every piece of, like, communist propaganda that he heard and saw. That's so interesting. Like, I wonder why that was. For somebody growing up and being in it, you just think, oh, yeah, well, I didn't like that. I didn't have a good time, so I'm going to stay away from that. Right, like he had a he had a terrible childhood, mostly due to the fact that yeah. he lived in Russia under communist rule. Sure, yeah. I don't know, it's weird. Mm. <laughs> um, despite all of that, uh, he was like very intelligent. He got super high grades in school, and he kind of believed that he was destined for greater things. He wanted to be a politician that would, you know, lead the USSR into future glory. Um, he went out to Moscow to take entrance exams for Russia's most prestigious universities, um, but due to the fact that his parents were so poor, he had to sleep on the benches at a railway station, like, between the days that he was taking the exam. Oh, wow. So he failed because he was so tired, um, so he just kind of let it go, and he just went to a local tech school instead. Oh, that's a shame. Um... Yeah, he could have been, he could have been, he could have done such great things. <laughs> I feel like this is another common theme where, like, they have potential to do, like, good, like, become a doctor or a vet or something, and then they just don't. Right, yeah. Um, so at this local technical school is where he met Tatiana Nariza, uh, which he, was his first real love interest. He was around 19 at this time. Mm. Um, they attempted to have sex twice, but both times Andre was unable to get an erection after getting, um, so then they kind of like ended their relationship. Right. Uh, and then after getting a job as a communication specialist in another city, um, he attempted to have sex with other girls, um, but came across the same problem. So every time he just, he couldn't get an erection. Right. He had such a fixation on this issue, um, that it almost drove him to suicide. Oh, wow. Yeah, I can't like imagine was, it's, like, a nice feeling. Right. Um, so, in 1957, uh, he was drafted into the Russian military. He served there for three years. <clears throat> and while he was out serving, he discovered how his sexual wires were crossed. So, he, he figured out what actually gets him off. <laughs> right. Um, so while he was out on a date, he was hugging a woman, uh, that he, that, you know, that he went out on a date with Mm -hmm. and she like made it very clear that she wanted to let go. So she tried like pushing him away, but he wouldn't let go. And she began to like struggle and Chikatilo found that the harder she tried to get free, the more he enjoyed it. 
Um, so he quickly ejaculated, and he made his first conscious link between sex and violence. Wow. Um, when he returned home after his military service, a girl that he tried to have sex with um, had asked a few of her friends if they knew how to cure impotence, and then everyone in the village found out that he couldn't get hard. <laughs> oh, no. Um, so he again, he tried to hang himself, uh, but his mother found him and saved him. Oh, jeez. Which it's like, it's so weird. It's like, not that I support, you know, su- like suicide. Like it's a very sensitive subject. Mm-hmm. Like it's bad. It's an epidemic at this point. Yeah. But what would the world have been like if he succeeded? Yeah. Imagine. <laughs> you know, you know, 53 people would <laughs> have not been wow. murdered. <laughs> yeah. By this um, one, this one death. Right. Mm. Um. So then after that, he just left the ukraine he was like i'm done i'm moving right, yeah um so we crossed the border into rostov this is where andre discovered masturbation um soon after he became a full-blown addict um while he was still like the new guy at his job uh, he was working as a telephone engineer mm-hmm. he would like sneak away into the woods to go masturbate and he thought his coworkers couldn't see him um but one day he was out there and like the group leader saw him and just shouted andre goes into the woods to masturbate (gasps) (laughs) which is like why do you gotta like out him like that yeah (laughs) just go go up to him and be like that's not cool yeah you can't be doing this on lunchtime (laughs) right exactly um so at this time period, he, um, Russian men usually got married before they turned 18. Like that was kind of the norm. And right. Chikatilo was pushing 30. Uh, so his sister set him up with a woman named Faina uh, from a town called... Oh my God, there's so many letters in this town. <laughs> Novoshaktskinkt? Something like that. <laughs> <laughs> um, so Faina took Andre's shyness for gentleness and actually appreciated his request to wait for marriage to have sex. Um, but on their wedding night, she found out the real motivation behind this request is that, you know, he couldn't. Right. Got it. But she stayed with him. Oh. Um, she was like, that's cool. Uh, they really want ki- They really wanted kids. Um, but obviously, due to Andre's impotence, they had to use kind of unconventional methods to achieve pregnancy. Oh, right. Uh, but it worked. And by oh. 1969, they had two kids. Um, but his growing family did nothing to curb his desires. Mm. Um, that night when he'd first reached ejaculation kind of left an impression on him. Uh, and his increasingly violent fantasies were about to become a reality. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so Andre took a teaching job um, <clears throat> teaching the Russian language at a boarding school in Rostov. Uh, his sexual problems began to manifest in different ways at work and uh, he started showing up at the girls dorm rooms uh, with his hand in his pocket but he was obviously masturbating oh god and yeah it is it's just like and he looks like he's such a creep if you look up pictures of him like he's just he just looks like a creep right Um, this behavior soon turned into full on groping um, while he was swimming in a river with his students, they were on like a, like a, a field trip. Mm-hmm. Uh, he swam over to a 15 year old girl and began fondling her. She screamed in fear, which only increased his pleasure. Uh, and he only stopped when other students swam over to investigate. Oh God. 
why were they all swimming together? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Like, thinking on, like, being on school trips and stuff, I feel like the teachers would never go in the water with yeah. the students. Like, I guess it was a different... I, I mean, I guess, you know, mm. so the USSR in the 50s or whatever, it was a different time. Yeah. There's not much to do in the Soviet <laughs> Union. Yeah, true. Um, so you'd think that that would be the end of his teaching career, but you'd be wrong. Oh, of course. <laughs> Why am I he, not surprised? Right. He didn't face any consequences for his actions. Um, his supervisors turned a blind eye to his actions uh, because, like, in the Soviet system, if he got in trouble... The whole school would have gotten in trouble and his like his superiors his bosses would have gotten in even more in trouble right. so they just kind of let it go right um when he molested another student by slapping her repeatedly with a ruler until he ejaculated in his pants the girl's parents uh refused to report the incident because they feared that the daughter would be blamed that the girl mm-hmm. would be blamed right um so obviously this was a great time for women yeah. in the ussr sure yeah Oh. <laughs> this is what all these men were like sort of getting away with yeah exactly mm-hmm. um so after like years and all of these allegations kind of stacking up on on andre uh the director of the school was like okay either resign or we're gonna fire you and uh chikatilo was like yeah like i i'll resign as long as all the allegations against me don't go on my record and the school was like yeah all right just leave <gasps> like we don't want to deal with you anymore Wow. Okay. Um, So in 1978, he started working at another um, technical school, and a 15-year-old boy was sleeping in his dorm room, and he woke up with his penis in Andre's mouth. (laughs) (gasps) And he screamed. Chikatilo kind of scurried away. And uh, after a few days, Andre returned, uh, but all the boys in the dorm room were, like, waiting for him and were like... (sighs) get the fuck out of here wow. <laughs> like what are you doing um so they kind of forced him out god um Chikatilo and his wife uh moved to a town called Shakti uh they uh so they moved there but he bought a second uh kind of a little shack on the edge of town um basically to use as like a love shack mm. which is a really good song but a really bad in practice <laughs> Um, so he'd lure women in with promises of food and drink because everyone in that town was like super poor and had no food still and he had a little bit of money because he had you know worked all these jobs Mm. Um, so he would convince them to perform sexual acts kind of beyond anything that he would ask his wife to do because you know these are just strangers and I guess he respected his wife he doesn't respect human life but he respects his wife yeah Um, but they they were like too compliant for him to like enjoy it he wanted like total domination mm-hmm. so he decided to start preying on little girls oh. so he this is where it gets a little heavy oh, geez. <laughs> um so he lured two six-year-olds to his shack uh he assaulted both of them before letting them go nine-year-old lena zakadnova would not be so lucky she was walking home from school uh when andre approached her Lena mentioned that she needed to use the bathroom, so he offered her his own. Uh, So he took her back to the shack. Um, And as soon as they got in and closed the door, his 
whole demeanor changed. Um, he attacked her and tried to rape her, but his affliction prevented him from doing so. He tried to force his flaccid penis into Lena's vagina, breaking her hymen. She began to bleed, and at the sight of the blood, Andre had the strongest orgasm of his life, and he wanted more. He took out a pocket knife and thrust it into Lena's stomach. As the little girl bled out on his floor, Andre realized that the only cure for his impotence was taking a human life. Wow. Oh, this guy's such a piece so of shit. Gross. <laughs> There's like so many links to the one that I chose as well. Yeah. Uh, um, like I just, I don't understand how people can be like this. Yeah, it's. <sighs> yeah. Oh God. <laughs> yeah, disgusting. Um, after the killing, he was struck with remorse and panic, which is strange. Yeah. Um, because. Like, this type of serial killer. I mean, he he's almost like Dahmer, in a way, mm-hmm. where everyone... Because he was very, like, grandfatherly to people. Like, people, like, you know, he was... People looked at him and just kind of saw, like, oh, yeah, that's just Andre. Like, right. he wasn't anything, like, super special. Mm-hmm. Um, so he... It was almost like he was intoxicated by the need to orgasm the way that Jeffrey Dahmer needed to get into like actually intoxicated like he ne- actually needed to be drunk to do like to murder people right um anyway <laughs> sorry <laughs> so uh Chikatilo dumped the body in a nearby river and he had a neighbor named Alexander um who had already been on trial for um murdering a little girl so they completely ignored andre uh, tricotillo they were like yeah no it probably wasn't you we're just gonna arrest this guy down the road um who like has actually been convicted um so alexander was arrested and executed for the murder (gasps) that is fucked up (laughs) yeah what the hell i mean the only solace that i find in that situation is that the neighbor was actually a murderer like it wasn't like mm-hmm. an you know an innocent man yeah yeah true but we'll get to that later where <laughs> there were innocent men <laughs> who right. were convicted of the murders <gasps> so he so after that he kind of had a a chill period of two years where he didn't really do anything like there's there's no real record of him for those two years mm-hmm. um so after the two years was up he spotted a 15 year old girl at a bus stop um he convinced her to take a walk with him um and they you know were walking down a lonely pathway and it was kind of like a mutual thing like okay we're gonna go and we're gonna have sex um because in the ussr in you know i this is the early 70s so they are um in the ussr at that time it was like yeah age of consent is like when a girl is ready (laughs) right Wow. So she was like, yeah, okay, like, let's go. Um, They started walking down this pathway. Andre pushed her to the ground and started choking and punching her. Um, He didn't intend on killing that day, so he didn't have his knife with him. So instead, he ripped her skin apart with his teeth. (gasps) What? Yeah. (laughs) That is what? Like, that he has reached the point of, like, just complete savage like yeah yeah um so from 1978 to 1989 
he murdered over 50 women and children. Obviously, I'm not going to go through all those, but every single one was vicious and savage. And, you know, he started, like, gauging out eyes and ripping out internal organs. Wow. And so for those whole, um, you know, 10 or 11 years, he was never caught. And many other men went down for his crimes. Mm. So they, you know, due to, like, the severity of the crimes, they were like, okay, well, it's probably, like, some evil psychopath. But instead of finding people or looking for people who were actually like criminally insane they kind of went in on like mentally disabled people and just assumed that it was them so a lot of mentally disabled men uh in the towns were convicted of these crimes with literally zero evidence other than having a mental illness right that's ridiculous um so it was either Chikatilo's like just sheer dumb luck or maybe it was just the fact that Russia had never seen anything like this mm. and like they didn't know how to handle it so Chikatilo got you know got away with it for all those years um he had quite a few close calls uh he was actually almost caught when police found his knife um matched the stab wounds of most victims and it had like the tip was bent which is consistent with stabbing right um so you know they brought him in and they tested his blood um against the semen sample that they had from the scene right and his blood type was a but the semen was a i think it was a b so they were like okay so that's different so it wasn't you and they let him go right um Later on, a Japanese study, it was a few years later, uh, a Japanese study proved that theoretically a man's blood type could be different from their semen. Really? Um, oh, that's interesting. Were, yeah, and that. at that point, uh, a case hadn't been, you know, found yet. Like, they haven't proved it, but it could happen. Right. Um, so with this information, and they had been following Andre for weeks, officers made the arrest. Um, they ended up testing his semen and it matched the semen that was at the crime scenes oh that's good at least it worked this time the match right (laughs) um so after a few days of interrogation andre cracked and he broke down in tears uh he confessed to everything and admitted to 53 murders but after realizing that he would be put to death for his crimes he immediately pleaded insanity Mm. he he was like oh they're gonna kill me well i went into I had like uh you know an episode 53 times and each one I had no control over my own body so everyone that I killed I wasn't aware that I was killing them and you know whatever. Mm. So he when he showed up to court he had shaved his head <laughs> like I guess to to sh- try to prove to them oh, that he was crazy. Wow. So he kind of realized that his plea of insanity wasn't working so he'd yell out during the trial like he would just start like yelling things he would sing the soviet anthem and then just like refuse to answer questions right and at one point he pulled his flaccid penis out of his pants (gasps) saying look at this useless thing what do you think i could do with that what i mean it's like you're going a little far yeah <laughs> buddy <laughs> yeah obviously they're just like not gonna take that crap and be like right well you're being disruptive more than just like 
right, I don't know, exactly. like what an insane, quote unquote, medically, whatever. <laughs> um, so yeah, so obviously none of this worked. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I'm not surprised. <laughs> right. Um, on October 15th, 1992, Andre Chikatilo was sentenced to death. Um, the, audience, the audience cheered and he just repeatedly shouted, Swindler! Swindler! Who? <laughs> so, I don't know if he was talking about the judge. I don't know if he was talking about the audience. Wow. Uh, so, on February 14th, which is Valentine's Day, yeah. very ironic, <laughs> uh, 1994, Andrei Chikatilo was executed Soviet-style with a single gunshot behind the ear. Wow. Yeah. And again, that's, like, somewhat recent. Like, Yeah, I mean, his last murder was in 89, so... Wow. Oof. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds like a lovely guy. Just kidding. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, man. the more, kind of the more he murdered, the more like gruesome and like super gross it got. So I covered the first couple and then. It just got worse. You know, a bit. it just got worse. So I was Great. like, yeah, another 50. <laughs> <laughs> wow. That's crazy. Um. So yeah, I chose one that. There's, there's a lot of similarities between the both of them. Um, yes, I'm excited to hear about yours. <laughs> <laughs> so I chose Peter Curtin, and I don't know how you say it because there's an umlaut over the U, and I don't know how to pronounce that. So I'm just going to call him Curtin from now on. Jeez, if that's incorrect, but here we go. Um, so he was a German serial killer known as the Vampire of Dusseldorf and the Dusseldorf Monster. Um, he was born into a poverty-stricken, abusive family in Molheim uh, on the 26th of May, 1883, and he was actually the third of 13 children. Both of his parents were alcoholics, and his father would frequently beat his wife and the children, particularly when he was drunk. Um, also, when he was drunk, his father would force his wife and children to like assemble before him um, and then ordered his wife to strip naked and have sex with him while the children watched. Oh my God. Right. Um, and then the father was later jailed for 15 months in 1894 for repeatedly raping his eldest daughter who was aged 13 at the time. 15 months. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Put like that man nothing. in jail for the rest of his life. <laughs> right. It's ridiculous. Um, and then, so after this time, um, Curtin's mother obtained a separation order um, and kind of just left. She remarried and relocated to Dusseldorf. Um, in 1888, when Peter was five, he attempted to drown one of his playmates. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. Um, four years later, he was said to have befriended a local dog catcher, whatever that is. I guess somebody who like caught stray dogs. <laughs> Um, who lived in the same building as his family and kind of just went along with him on his rounds. Um, this person would torture and kill the animals that he caught, which then caused Curtin to like become an active and willing participant, a participant in torturing the animals as well. Um, he later claimed to have committed his first murder at the age of nine when he pushed a school friend who he knew was unable to swim off of a log raft. Um, a second boy then attempted to save the one that was drowning um, and Curtin actually held the second boy's head underwater, causing both boys to drown. 
and um, both deaths were ruled by authorities as being accidental. So he didn't even get in trouble for that. Accidental? Mm, yeah, I don't really know how that would have happened. I mean, I guess if he's the only one left. And right, he, he could of, just say that neither of them knew how to swim and yeah. they fell in or something. Yeah, I guess you can't prove it otherwise. Mm. And I guess if he's nine, they're going to be like, well, what did a nine-year-old do? But Right. I don't know. <laughs> um, although later, Curtin changed his story and claimed to have committed his first murder in November um, 1899 when he was 16. Um, he claimed to have picked up an 18-year-old girl um, and persuaded her to accompany him um, to the Hofgarten. Uh, there he claimed to have engaged in sex with her uh, before strangling her into unconsciousness with his bare hands before leaving the scene. Um, he thought that she was dead, but I guess she wasn't. <laughs> but there's no <laughs> records to exist to corroborate this claim. Um, but if an attack did take place, that they believed that the victim would have probably survived. Um, either way, Curtin said that with this act, is this is when he proved himself that the greatest heights of sexual ecstasy could also could only be achieved in this manner so he was he now starting the same kind of way gotcha. um, mm. <laughs> and then in 1900 he was actually arrested for fraud and then was rearrested later the same year for that charge for the same charge um yeah so he like and when he was being arrested for the second time it also included uh charges for his for thefts in in 1899 plus an attempted murder of a girl with a firearm there's not really much more inf information on that but i was like wow that's crazy um <laughs> wow <laughs> yeah starting good um and so he was sentenced to four years imprisonment in october 1900 which again doesn't really seem like a lot of time for at least like the murder i know it wasn't right. an actual murder it was an attempted murder but Still. But still. Yeah, exactly. He tried it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so when he was released four years later in 1904, he was drafted into the Imperial German Army. Um, in the autumn of that year, he began committing acts of arson. And he freely admitted to police that these fires had been committed for both his sexual excitement and in the hope of burning sleeping tramps alive. Oh, wonderful. Yeah, really gross. And he would like just stand and wait for like emergency services to turn up and he would just like watch them. Uh, so later he deserted the army and because he was just deserted the army, he was tried by the military court. Um, in addition to um, being convicted of desert desertion, he was um, also charged for uh, multiple counts of arson, robbery and attempted robbery and was imprisoned from 1905 to 1913. I'm not really sure how he got more time for those things <laughs> than an attempted murder, but never mind. <laughs> um, he served most of his sentence in Munster, with much of his time being sent, uh, spent in solitary confinement. Uh, and this was because of repeated instances of sub insubordination. Uh, and he later claimed to investigators that this period of incarceration was when he first encountered like severe forms of discipline and in turn the erotic fantasies he had earlier developed while being incarcerated here. Um, yeah. He also said that he had fantasies of striking out at society and killing masses of people 
um, and that these fantasies became like really paramount and overbearing in his mind. So I guess he had a lot of time to sit and think about doing things. Yeah, this guy should have been locked up and put away for a long time. Yeah, not just like nine years. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, weird, because he was like in and out of prison for like not really a long time at all. Um, and then, so his first murder that he definitively committed occurred on the 25th of May, 1913. Um, th- during a course of a burglary at a tavern, he encountered a 19 year, uh, sorry, nine year old girl named Christine Klein, who was asleep in her bed. He strangled the child and slashed her twice across the throat with a pocket knife, ejaculating as he heard the blood dripping from her wounds onto the floor by her bed. Oh, so there are, there's a lot of similarities to yeah. Andre. Yeah, he seems to like blood a lot. Right. <laughs> um, the next <laughs> the name. Yeah. <laughs> the next day, he returned um, for a drink in a tavern that was opposite the one that he murdered Klein in, um, in order so that he could listen to, like, the locals' reactions about the murder. Um, and he said to investigators later that he got an extreme sense of gratification from hearing about their general discussion, disgust, repulsion, and outrage. Um, yeah, so he he seems to like always go back to hear about what people have to say and quite likes the fact that people think that he's disgusting. Um, <laughs> weird. He also uh, would go to Mulheim again to visit the child's grave after her funeral, adding that when he handled the soil covering her grave, he spontaneously ejaculated. Ugh. I just, I don't know. <laughs> I, I just, there's like no words. It's so weird. Like, what wires are crossed in these people's brains? Yes. Yeah, yeah you know? right? Like, how does that, why... Yeah. Um, two months after this, Curtin broke into a home in Dusseldorf. He discovered a 17-year-old girl there called Gertrude Franken. Um, she was again asleep in her bed. Uh, then he strangled her and ejaculated again at the sight of blood spouting from her mouth before leaving the crime scene. Uh, and so he obviously managed to escape this one as well as the one before of um, the nine-year-old. Um then in April 1921, he relocated to Altenburg, where he initially lived with his sister. Uh, and through his sister, he met a woman who was three years older than him called Auguste Scharf. And she was a sweet shop proprietor and a former prostitute who had previously been convicted of shooting her fiancé to death. <laughs> and I was like, oh, good. Nice little link there. <laughs> Match made in heaven. Yeah. So they did end up getting married. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, on the 3rd of February 1929, he stalked an elderly woman named Apollo, Apol, Apollonia Kun. Uh, so he basically waited until she was like hidden from the view of potential witnesses by bushes. And then he just like pounced on her, grabbed her by the lapels of her coat shouted the words no row don't scream before dragging her into the nearby undergrowth uh, and then he stabbed her 24 times with a sharpened pair of scissors Um, although many of these blows were inflicted so deeply that the scissors struck her bones she actually survived her injuries oh my god yeah (laughs) which i thought was 
is pretty impressive, especially like she's elderly as well. Right. So, yeah, that must have been freaking awful. <laughs> Those Germans, man. Yeah. <laughs> like oxes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, on the 8th of February, um, Kurt, so five days later, uh, he strangled a nine-year-old named Rosa Olinger uh, into unconsciousness before stabbing her in the stomach, temple, genitals, and heart with a pair of scissors again. Um, and then also again, he spontaneously ejaculated as he knifed her. Um, this one was really weird. He then inserted his semen into her vagina with his fingers so that's how Andre Trigatello got his wife pregnant. Oh right! Oh, interesting. <laughs> well, there you go. There you go. <laughs> um, Curtin tried to hide her body by dragging it beneath a hedge before returning it to a scene. Um, returning to the scene with a bottle of kerosene several outer hours later. Um, and she, his plan was to set the child's body alight. Um, and of course he achieved an orgasm at the sight of the pl- the flames. Of course. Yeah. Um, and her body was found beneath a hedge the following day. Um, then five days after that, he seems to do it in fives. It's weird. He just does five days and five days, which is interesting. Okay. Yeah. On the 13th of February, he murdered a 45 year old mechanic named Rudolf Scheer. Uh, in the suburbs um, he stabbed him 20 times particularly around the head back and eyes um, following the discovery of Shear's body Curtin returned to the scene of the murder again to converse with the police um, falsely informing one detective that he had heard about the murder via telephone like he's got some balls again just like turning up right yeah um, so because there were ages uh, differences in the age and sex of the three victims. Um, th- the fact that all three were committed in the same area, especially at the same time, they were all done at dusk, uh, and that each victim had received a multitude of stab wounds. Um, they, the lead investigators, concluded that it was the same perpetrator uh, for all three attacks, which was quite interesting because I feel like if this was any other person we discussed they would have been like nope it's separate <laughs> right i think this is the first person we've yeah. talked about where they made that connection exactly so they kind of knew um and they did kind of say oh look well this is obviously a random selection of victims it led criminologists to kind of notice that this was an abnormal nature of the perpetrator which is interesting as well so they kind of are, are learning a little bit right <laughs> um so Curtin att- uh, attempted to strangle four women between March and July 1929, uh, one of whom he claimed to have thrown into the Rhine River. He didn't actually kill anybody until the 11th of August when he uh, straped, he straped, raped, strangled, and then repeatedly stabbed a young woman named Maria Hahn. Uh, he first encountered her, who he described as a girl looking for marriage. I don't really know what that means. On the Ew. 8th of August. And so he then arranged to take her on a date. Um the following Sunday. After several hours in Han's company, Curtin lured her into a meadow in order that he could kill her. He later admitted that Han had repeatedly pleaded with him to spare her life as he alter- uh, as he strangled her, stabbing her in the chest and head or sat astride her body waiting for her to die. Um, she was said to have died approximately one hour after he had begun attacking her, which is awful. A whole she- hour. Yeah. 
Yeah, and I'm sure it like went by so slow as well. So that's terrible. Um, uh, Curtin was actually fearful that his wife might connect the bloodstains she had noted on his clothes with the Hans murder. He later buried her body in a cornfield, only to return to her body several weeks later with the intention of nailing her decomposing remains to a tree, kind of like in a mock mock crucifixion, so that he could shock and disgust the public. Um, However, yeah, so he was just doing it again to get a reaction um, from just members of the public. Uh, Although Hans' remains were too heavy for him to do so. So basically what he would do is he just returned her corpse to her grave and he would just embrace and caress the decomposing body as he laid beneath her remains uh, and then buried her again. And then he later confessed that both before and after he had attempted attempted to impale her corpse to a tree, he went to the grave many times and kept improving on it. And every time I thought of what was lying there and was filled with satisfaction. So he went back multiple times. Improved on it? Yeah, I think he must have just like moved her around and stuff. Oh, okay. Yeah, because he was, she was obviously, well, although I guess... I don't know, would she have maybe, like, with decomposition, gotten lighter? There's nothing to say that he actually, like, hung her up or anything. But, yeah, he, like, moved her around and went back to visit her and things. So, yeah. Um, Gotcha. mm. Um, Three months after he had murdered Han, he posted an anonymous letter to the police in which he confessed to the murder, adding that her remains had been buried in a field. Um, And in this letter, he drew a map describing the location of her remains and it was actually sufficiently detailed so that investigators could actually find her remains so yeah Um, and following this he decided to change his choice of weapons from the scissors to a knife so that he could convince police more than that more than one perpetrator was responsible um which was kind of smart i guess like kind of thinking ahead which i feel like a lot of serial killers don't really do Right. Well, uh, apparently the their you know his police force was smarter than any other police force. <laughs> yeah, so no. leave it to the Germans, eh? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and in the early of morning of the twenty first of August, he randomly stabbed an eighteen year old girl, a thirty year old man, and a thirty seven year old woman in separate attacks. All three were seriously wounded, but they didn't die, um, and all of them went to police. Uh, and said that their assailant had not spoken a word to them before he attacked them. So he doesn't actually, he like commits all of these crimes and stabbings and stuff, but actually they don't die. And all of them go to the police. Right. I wonder if that was intentional. Yeah, I don't know. Or if he just had really bad luck and just like couldn't kill. Yeah, because like they're like his alleged first one, he kind of left her for dead. But he right. assumed that she would like, who knows if it actually happened, but he assumed that she would have been alive. So I don't know if maybe he was just like, oh, this is good. That's fine. Like, see how I wasn't caught that time if it actually did happen. Right. Maybe. But then also because he liked watching, like, when people came, like, when the cops came and stuff. Yeah. So maybe he liked the attention that came with. Yeah. Because them obviously. Being alive. Yeah. Because if nobody had seen it then nobody's really going to talk about it, right. I guess. And the person that he attacked will like carry that with them for the rest of their lives. Yeah. Yeah, which is maybe worse than yeah. death. 
Definitely. <laughs> um, so... Uh, Sorry. <laughs> that's okay. <laughs> um, so three days later, uh, at a fairground, he observed two foster sisters, aged five and 14, walking from the fair home back to their house. Um, he sent the older girl, Louise Lenzen, on an errand to purchase cigarettes for him um, upon the promise that she would he would give her some money for doing so. Um, and while she was gone, he then lifted the younger child called Gertrude Hamacher off of the ground by her neck and strangled her into unconsciousness before cutting her throat and discarding her body in a patch of runner beans. Um, and then when Louise came back, he partially strangled her before stabbing her in the torso with one wound piercing her aorta. Um, he also bit and twice cut Twight cut her throat before sucking blood from the wounds. Um, neither girl was sexually assaulted, though. So at least that, I guess. But oh yeah, that's great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, terrible. Um, and then the next day, so he like does them in quick succession here. Um, the following day, he accosted a 27-year-old housemaid named Gertrude Schult, who he then opened again. He asked her to engage in sex with him. Um, she was just like, no. <laughs> and he was like, well, die then. And then stabbed her in the head, shoulder, neck, and back. Oh, my God. Like, what the hell? Uh, but she also survived her injuries. Which is pretty... after getting stabbed in the head. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, although she wasn't able to give investigators a clear description of him, um, only that she assumed his age to be around forty. So that was right, a shame. probably because she got stabbed in the head. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and the neck. Like... And the shoulder blades. Yeah. Yeah. Like he must have like just missed like her everything. spine. Yeah. All of the like arteries and everything. Because that could have, like, seriously, like, obviously, it probably caused some damage, but it could right. have probably been way worse. But, yeah. yeah. Um, he also then attempted to, t to murder two further victims, one by strangulation and another by stabbing, um, and which, again, didn't work in September. And then he then decided to move on from the knife to a hammer. So he just changed his weapon again. Um on the evening of 30th of September, he encountered a 31-year-old servant girl named Ida Rauder at the Dusseldorf station. He successfully persuaded her to accompany him to a cafe and then for a walk again through the local garden close to the Rhine River. Um, while they were there, he struck her in the head with a hammer both before and after he had raped her. Uh, at one stage in the assault, she regained consciousness and began pleading with him to spare her life. Um, in response, Curtin simply gave her other hammer blows on the head and misused her. And that was what he told investigators after. So those were his direct quotes. Misused her. I don't yeah. like that. No, it's gross, <laughs> isn't it? Like, that's Not a just fan the, of that. Yeah. That's just like a disrespectful thing to say. Like, he obviously yeah. didn't respect anybody. But right. like you can tell by the language he uses, I think. He seems, it does sound like he thinks all of it is just a joke. Right. Yeah. Um, then 11 days after that, he encountered a 22-year-old servant girl named Elizabeth Dorier outside a theater. Um, and again, he asked her to go out with him for a drink. 
uh, which they did. And then they walked along the river again. And then he struck her once across her right temple with the hammer and then raped her again. So kind of the same kind of thing. Moral of the story is don't go walking with strange men along rivers. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, she, she was hit several times with the hammer and left for dead. Um, and she was actually found the next morning at 6.30 a.m. to be alive, but she did later die from the injuries the following day. Um, they actually found her in a coma as well. So it's mm. a bit sad. Um, then on the 25th of October, he attacked two more women with a hammer. Uh, again, both of them surviving. Although the, in the second instance, this was the only time, this was only because um, Curtin's hammer broke in the attack. Oh my God. Yeah. So that's quite lucky, I guess. Um, <laughs> and then, so then there was another one where he um, stabbed a little girl, a five-year-old. Um, and then, so for this one, he stabbed her 34 times in the temple and chest before placing her body in the pile of nettles close to a factory wall. Um, yeah, she was five. Um, and he, again, tried to, like, persuade her to accompany him to somewhere. And then he just did what he did to all of the people he seems to have um, lured. Um, then in the summer of 1929, the murders were dubbed by the press uh, well the murders committed by the individual him <laughs> um, were now dubbed to be by the vampire of Dusseldorf by the press um, and it was receiving considerable national and international attention um, due to the sheer savagery of the murders the diverse backgrounds of the victims and the differing methods in which they had been assaulted and or murdered both the police and the press theorize that the spate of assaults and murders were the work of more than one perpetrator so they now reverted back to thinking that it was more than one so his plan kind of worked right switching between that's right different. yeah and the weapons and stuff um, by the end of 1929, Dusseldorf police had received more than 13 letters from uh, 13. That doesn't sound like a lot because it's not 13,000 letters from the public. <laughs> <laughs> 1,000 times the amount I originally said. <laughs> um, yeah, so uh, and with assistance from surrounding police forces, they kind of just pursued every lead that they got. And a result of this they interviewed more than 9,000 individuals with with a list of 900,000 different names on an official potential suspect list. 900,000 yeah. names. Isn't that insane? Like that how insane. this, like, obviously I've never been to Germany or anything, but I can't imagine that, it, that it's that large that you, I mean, that just sounds like everyone. In this little area. <laughs> they, they just assume that every single person is the same. I don't know. I mean, I guess if, like, somebody was just like, oh, I think it's my neighbor, they would have, like, put their yeah. name on the list or whatever. Like, anybody could just claim anything. So maybe right. that was just... They just had this list of basically anybody who somebody said it could potentially be. Mm. And they just kind of wrote it down. <laughs> um, two days after the... Um, murder of the five-year-old girl 
Her name is Gertrude Alberman, by the way. Um, a, so many Gertrudes. Yeah, a lot of them. <laughs> um, a local communist newspaper received a map revealing the location of the grave of Maria Hahn, so the for the one from earlier, um, as well as where he had left Alberman's body. Um, and with this letter, they did an analysis of the handwriting based on the letter where he said that he had killed Han like way before the, the one that he sent to the police. Um, and they actually were just like, yeah, that's the same handwriting. What year was this? Uh, that was 1929. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. There's so much more advanced than, than America yeah. was in, <laughs> yep. in the thirties. Yeah, exactly. So um, yeah, they had a, graphologist examine the letters and he confirmed that since the both both were written by the same person the chief inspector of the berlin police were was like yeah it's one person then and so so they just went back to being like yeah it's one man who's responsible (laughs) so his plan was foiled yet again (laughs) um on the 14th of may 1930 uh, an unknown man approached a 20-year-old woman named Maria Budlick at Dusseldorf Station. Um, so Budlick had actually traveled to Dusseldorf from somewhere else looking for like a hotel and a job. Um, this man offered to direct her towards a local hostel. She agreed to follow him, even though she became a bit apprehensive when he attempted to leave her through like a scarcely populated park. Um, the pair began to argue, and then another man approached them and was like, oh, are you okay to Budlick? When she nodded, uh, no, well, he asked specifically if she was being pestered by this guy. She nodded and then the man like left. But the man who kind of uh, came to Budlick's aid was actually Peter Curtin. So I guess Uh. he knew the trick. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So then he decided to invite her to his apartment for food and a drink. Um, But she was actually quite smart and kind of assumed that his underlying motive was um, to have sex with her. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So she instantly was just like, hey, look, I'm not interested in having sex with you. And he was like, "Okay, that's fine. Um, I'll lead you to a a hotel instead. Um, But he didn't. And instead took her to the woods nearby where he grabs her by the throat and attempted to strangle her as he raped her. Um, however, when she began to scream, he released his grasp and then she just left. Oh, she left. just left? Yeah, he let her leave. <laughs> he was like, you can go. Um, How nice of him. Yeah, right? Uh, so she actually didn't report the assault to police, but told her friend in a letter what happened. Um, she addressed the letter incorrectly and... I mean, I guess it's a good thing that this happened. But because the the address on the letter was incorrect, the um, clerk at the post office opened the letter and then it sent it to the police. So the police found out anyway. Um, (laughs) I don't really know why opening the letter would have helped with the address, but (laughs) I'm glad that they did. (laughs) Um, So, yeah. The letter was read by the chief inspector, who assumed that there was a tiny chance that his that Budlick's assailant might be the Dusseldorf murderer. So, yeah, <laughs> which is really interesting that he was just like, mm, maybe. Um, uh, yeah, like uh, nothing else is going on. <laughs> no, right. Um, and so 
this guy, he's called Gannat. He interviewed Budlick, who kind of just told him everything that had happened. Um, and then she then told him that one of the reasons Curtin had spared her was because she had falsely informed him that she could not remember his address, even though she had. <laughs> so I guess he was like, oh, okay, she doesn't know where I live, so that's fine. I'm safe. And then let her go. It's the same energy as when BTK was like, can you guys track floppy disks? And the police were like, no. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And he was like, all right, I'm going to send you a floppy yeah, disk. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so she did actually remember the address and then brought the police to his house. Um, <laughs> he wasn't actually there at the house when uh, Budlick and the chief inspector were searching his property, but he did spot them in the communal hallway and then just kind of turned around and left. Um and now he knew that his identity was now known to the police. Um, he went and confessed to his wife that he had raped Budlick and that because of his previous convictions, he would probably receive 15 years of penal labor, not, not prison or anything. Um, but then, so his wife was like, okay, you might as well like go stay somewhere else. So he did. Um, and then he didn't actually return home until the 23rd of May. Um, and then when he did return home, he confessed to his wife that he was the vampire of Dusseldorf. Um, and with his consent, he urged her to con collect the substantial reward offered for his capture. And so the next day she did. <laughs> she was like, I'm going to make my money. Bitch. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and she didn't. She was like, well, I knew that he was imprisoned in the past, but I didn't think he would be capable of the murders. Um, but he did confess it to me. So, yeah, it was him. <laughs> yeah. yeah um I mean, and is that uh, like i guess it's better than like the wives of serial killers who like cover for them yeah exactly i mean she, she was like might as well get my bag while i'm at it yeah i mean i guess she had like no idea <laughs> yeah and then he like he literally told her and she's like okay well yeah i guess you did but at least she got something out of it <laughs> um and so she had kind of set up a like a coup and he was going to meet her outside the church later that day uh but the police were there instead and so he was arrested at gunpoint gotcha. um yeah <laughs> so he freely admitted his guilt in all of the crimes that police had attributed to the vampire of dusseldorf and he also further confessed that he had committed um the unsolved murder of christine klein so that five-year-old girl uh the attempted murder of gertrude um uh, among others and so in total he admitted to 68 crimes um nine of which were murders and 31 were attempted murders uh he made no attempt to excuse his crimes but justified them upon basis of what he saw as the injustices that he had endured throughout his life so he kind of felt like he had the right to do this because of the shitty upbringing that he had yeah it's like just because your dad was shitty yeah exactly <laughs> murder him yeah. <laughs> yeah um and so he also did he said that he was he was allegedly adamant that he didn't torture any of the child victims um but he did tell the investigators and the psychiatrists that the actual sight of his victim's blood was on many occasions sufficient to bring him to orgasm um and then I found this quite interesting that if he did experience ejaculation in the act of strangling a woman, he would immediately become apologetic to her. Okay. Mm. But then 
Okay. <laughs> but then, yeah, but then just be really fucking awful to her otherwise. So I don't right. really understand. You're going to apologize for that, but not literally right, killing them. He, he would rape them and then kill them, right? Yeah, so I'm not sure if maybe... Because a lot of the... Sometimes he also raped them and they, like, survived. So I wonder if right. they knew that he apologized. Or if it was after they had died. Or, like, I don't know like, what stage it was at, but... Right. Yeah, That's he would so apologize. Strange. Yeah, <laughs> right? Um, and then he also claimed to have drunk the blood from the throat of one victim, the temple of another, and licked the blood from a third victim's hands and in one instance he said that he had drunk oh well in the in the instance of maria han he said that he drank so much blood from her neck that he vomited and he didn't get any stds no nothing <laughs> <laughs> and he also this is another thing it's weird he admitted to decapitating a swan so that he could drink its blood and then well that's better than a human <laughs> well yeah i mean i guess he uh, he also ejaculated at this point as well. Ugh. So, yeah. <laughs> but I was like, it's quite funny that they've called him a vampire of Dusseldorf because he did actually drink the blood of people and animals. Right. And I feel like they maybe didn't know that to begin with. So right. I don't really know like, how, how would they have known? Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. Um. Uh, several psychologists interviewed Curtin while he was awaiting trial and every single one of them concluded that he was not insane and he was fully able to control his actions and appreciate the criminality of his conduct. So yeah, each one of them was like, he's legally sane and competent to stand trial. Right. <laughs> so yeah. Um, so on 13th of April, 1931, he stood trial in Dusseldorf, and he was charged with nine counts of murder and seven of attempted murder. So, yeah. <laughs> I don't think that's enough. He said that he... He's like, like it could have been 16 murders. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Darn. Yeah. Um, he did later plead not guilty by reasons of insanity to each one of those charges. Um, and also... A, other than when he was delivering testimony in the witness box, he would spend the duration of the trial surrounded by a heavily guarded shoulder-high iron cage specifically constructed to protect him from being attacked by the enraged relatives of the victim. I don't think I've ever heard that happen, ever. Yeah, not a cage. Yeah. <laughs> um, the trial lasted 10 days, uh, and the jury took two hours to reach their verdict where um, they found him to be guilty and sentenced to death on the nine counts of murder. Um, so he was also found guilty of the seven counts of murder, but I guess it doesn't matter because you're going to be sentenced to death anyway. Um, right. <laughs> he was said to ex display no emotion as the sentence was passed, although in his final address to the court, he stated that he now saw his crimes as being so ghastly that he did not want to make any sort of excuse for them. Oh, no. Uh-huh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Whereas before, he had no remorse whatsoever. Um, on the evening of the 1st of July, 1931, he received his last meal. He ordered a Wiener Schnitzel, a bottle of white wine, and fried potatoes. He devoured the entire meal before requesting a second helping, to which the prison staff decided to grant his request. 
<laughs> or how nice of them. I know. Um, so then at six o'clock in the morning of the next day, so the 2nd of July, he was executed with the guillotine in the grounds of Klingelsputz Prison in Cologne. Uh, he walked unassisted to the guillotine, flanked by the prisoner psychiatrist and a priest. Um, this I found quite interesting and bizarre. He, Before they put his head on the guillotine, Curtin turned to the psychiatrist and asked, Tell me, after my head is chopped off, will I still be able to hear, at least for a moment, the sound of my own blood gushing from the stump of my neck? That would be the pleasure to end all pleasures. Isn't that sick? It really is. Um, I guess he didn't get an answer. Because they basically were just like... <laughs> they were like, shut up. <laughs> yeah, I know. Um, so they basically were just like, do you have any last words? He just smiled and said no. <laughs> that was it. Executed. Wow. Um, this is, and I found, also found this interesting, that following his execution, his head was actually bisected and mummified. And they removed his brain... Uh, because they wanted to do a forensic analysis on it to try to explain his personality and behavior. Um, but the examination revealed no abnormalities at all. Uh, the autopsy conducted uh, upon his body also said that he was basically fine. He just had an enlarged thymus gland, but he didn't have anything else wrong with him. Um, and then shortly after World War II, his head was transported to the United States, and it is currently on display at the Ripley's, believe it or not, museum in Wisconsin Dells, Wisconsin. All right. Well, it looks like I'm going to have to go to Wisconsin. <laughs> Isn't that creepy? Like, what? <laughs> what? Why Ripley's, believe it or I not? I don't even. And in Wisconsin. <laughs> so strange. Like, why even there? Like, I don't know. Put it in Dusseldorf, because that's where he was. Or is that maybe too close to home? I don't know. Nobody wants to see it in Dusseldorf. <laughs> no. <laughs> Oof. But yeah, I thought that was pretty interesting. I was like, I don't know if any other like serial killer's head is on display anywhere. Yeah, it's... That's... Yeah. Isn't that <laughs> like, weird? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was going to say, I like. I feel like I've, I've been to the one in New York, the Ripley's, believe it or not, but I can't remember seeing any like actual severed heads. Like, is it just in a jar <laughs> in formaldehyde or something? Yeah, like, like, I went to the one, I've been to the one in uh, in Atlantic City, and it was all just, like, wax figures of, like, crazy things. Yeah, like the giant like, man or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I don't remember there being any, like, actual human parts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. It just doesn't seem like the place that it should go. Yeah. But fair enough. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so yeah. So that's uh Peter Curtin. All right. Yeah. Sweet. <laughs> God. There's such terrible terrible things oh, we talk about. On this yeah, podcast. I know. I know. <laughs> but yeah. But at least they're both gone now and uh that's it. Although I guess uh Curtin was from quite a while ago, so he probably would have been dead by now anyway. <laughs> Right. Hopefully. Would, it was like he was 90 something years vampire. ago. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. Also, the, like, the. Because um, yours was also kind of publicly executed, wasn't he? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Which I find so bizarre. Obviously, because it's not something that we have to sort of deal with now today in our respective right. locations. But it's all. I mean, that was in the early 90s. Yeah. And 
Like I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna guess that the only place that still does, I don't know if they still do it, but like semi recently does executions, literally having them like kneel on the ground and shooting them in the head. Yeah, is Russia. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because I don't even think like the guillotine is a thing anymore either. Right. So, yeah. Yeah, crazy. crazy. It's just crazy to think. <laughs> like, I'm sure people went to go watch it. Like, the families right. of the victims and stuff. I don't know. That creeps me out as well. Just him, them being on display. I feel like uh, Curtin probably would have liked it. Because it's oh, just yeah. like one yeah. last thing yeah. for people to be like, oh, kind of watching him in disgust or whatever. But yeah. I don't know. It's, it's like, like, you're doing it for attention but like god like i can't i can't i feel like we we end every single episode with me being like i don't get it no i know i mean i don't think anybody will ever get it like psychologists have tried um like this one they even tried to do it like a biological study on his brain and there's still just no indication as to why people are like this right because you'd think that that would be the only like the only explanation is like literally wires crossed in your brain yeah yeah i guess the brain is such a weird thing anyway i feel like it's still there's so much of it still that's unexplored and right yeah it's like the ocean yeah exactly and it's just like this <laughs> little thing just in every one of our heads but it's still like a mysterious thing i guess because right, you can't like, really see it it's hard right. to know what's going on in there and i guess i guess it kind of like once a person is dead the brain doesn't work like it does when the person is alive so yes. you can't really yeah yeah you can't like hook it up to a mri and sort of see what gets fired when and stuff right but, yeah yeah I, I don't really know what they were hoping to find when they took his brain because <laughs> <laughs> yeah it would just probably look like any other brain but i mean maybe not because i guess there are places parts of your brain that kind of relate to certain personality traits and I guess if right. one that was like, I don't know, aggression or just not following the rules kind of thing, that part might be enlarged or something wrong with it. So I guess they were maybe hoping that there was something physically wrong. Right. They were like, nope, this guy's just, yeah. just a terrible person. Yeah, like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The brain is a mysterious thing. It really is. <laughs> oh, this got deep. Yeah, it really, it really <laughs> did. Next time we speak about a psychological something. <laughs> <laughs> we'll do a psychoanalysis on all the serial killers we've talked about. Yes. <laughs> it's going to be 17 hours long. Buckle up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like it's one of those things that like nobody's ever really going to be able to explain. Yeah. Until There's we... got to be some like back alley scientist that has done like exper like experiments on someone's brain like while they're alive and like killed someone in front of them, right? Like there's got to be <laughs> probably in Russia some like unethical <laughs> study is definitely happening somewhere, right? right. I don't there's got to be. But like even if they study it in like say, well, I can't. I was gonna say like maybe like predatory animals, but they do it obviously for survival. Right, like they obviously kill other animals to eat so that they are able right. to live, whereas humans don't need to do that. <laughs> we have other like food substances that we can use rather than having to kill each other. 
or whatever. Mm. But even so, I, but unless the person's brain is so underdeveloped that it like reverts back to like primal times when mm. it was for survival, possibly. And I'm I'm getting hyped up now. So. <laughs> Although, but I feel like it's also weird that he would then, or just anybody would then prey on like a human as well because obviously it's the same species as you because thinking about like predators they tend to not like kill and hunt and eat their own right they kind of will go for like somebody underneath them in the food chain whereas maybe that's why he tried the swan and then he was like yeah it's not the same no although it did it was the same because it did uh, bring him sexual gratification <laughs> just maybe not enough this is true <laughs> maybe I guess a swan can't talk back, right? Right. And so. I guess, like, nobody really cares as much about a swan as they do about, hu- like, other humans. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm sure it's a crime still to, like, kill wildlife, but... Well, yeah. But, like, nobody's gonna call 911. He's not gonna be able to, like, no. watch them try to... No. <laughs> like, resuscitate a swan. Sure. And it won't, like, kind of create, like, a media circus kind of thing. Be like, oh, well, right. Swan was found dead in the pond over there, like, and that's it. Whereas murders, I feel like people will just continuously discuss for ever. I mean, here we are, however many years later, depending on who we're talking about, and we're still talking about them. So. Right, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> that's what they wanted. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> They're down in hell looking up, like, oh, yes. they're still talking about us. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Cool. Do you have anything else to add, or I don't think so. I'm gonna go ponder my existence now. <laughs> Hopefully, with your very healthy brain. Oh yes. <laughs> awesome. Well, thanks for joining me again this week, um, and thanks to all of our listeners for giving us a listen. Um, I'll put some pictures on Instagram as normal of our little serial killers that we spoke about today. Um, But yeah, if you'd like to follow us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and SoundCloud, I guess as well, um, is where we mostly host our stuff. But yeah, thanks for listening, everyone. Bye.